Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you and thank you and praise you for all of the blessings that you have given to us in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the revelation of your most sacred heart. And in this month of June, I pray, Jesus, that you would lead us into opportunities to come to know your heart for us more fully, to come to know your heart for this world more fully. Jesus, please, please do what you need to do to break open those stubborn places of resistance that exist in in my life, in, in our lives, in the lives of my dear listeners. Lord, please remove blockages to the free flowing of your love, your grace, your mercy, your healing. Lord, Lord, the, the power of your love, restoring and conquering all that resists, resists you and resists your love, that resists your plan for our lives. Please, Jesus, deal with it. Deal with us. And Jesus, in this month dedicated to your heart, may we be led down paths where we would discover new uh, treasure troves of blessings, new uh, vistas of and horizons of, of love, of an ocean of, of merciful love. And Lord, give us the grace to discover in your love a rock for our lives. And Jesus, I, I pray as well that you would give us the grace to become witnesses to your love. Witnesses to the love that, that you are and, and the love that is pouring forth from your most sacred heart. Forge us into dynamic witnesses, humble witnesses, available witnesses, Lord, give us something fresh and new. Give us a a fresh hearing of the gospel today. Lord, Lord, surprise us by helping us to discover new facets and uh, new, new depths of things that we've already heard before, of things that we've already known. Give us fresh bread today, Lord. Give us that savoring of fresh bread. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Fresh bread is just a thing, right? It's bread, and it's bread that is newly made. But there's fresh bread, and then there's fresh bread. So, 1976, my family took a trip to northern Italy, to a tiny town, a tiny little village, not even a town, a village called Giustino in the Dolomite Mountains near Madonna di Campiglio. The largest town nearby was called Pinzolo. Pinzolo was famous for its knife sharpeners. That was, uh, that was the trade that came from that village at the end of this valley in northern Italy, between Trent, the Council of Trent, Trento, and Bolzano, uh, the, the city further to the north. My mom was born there in 1940, so during the early stages of the Second World War, and she came over to America um, after the war. And so this was my first opportunity, 1976, to go with my family, and we spent several weeks in northern Italy, and we got to stay in the house on the plot of land where my mom grew up. And for a a brief time, we also stayed in a home in Giustino, which is the next town over. Next town over is, (laughs) it took us maybe, it was a, you know, a hundred yard walk, not even, (laughs) to go from one town to the other, uh, separating these two little villages. And 
staying in my mom's cousin's house. Uh, why am I telling you this story? Because of fresh bread. One of the things that we were introduced to in Justino was this tiny little uh, like drugstore, this tiny little market across the street from the town, from the uh, house where we were staying. And every morning around 7 o'clock, this truck would pull by, this like one of those three-wheeling, maybe you've seen a three-wheeler truck, would pull up and you could hear the, the exhaust. It was kind of a loud exhaust. And the guy would come out with a big kind of clouded plastic bag full of fresh panini. Pane in Italian is bread. Panino is a little piece of bread, a little like glob of bread, a little roll, a fresh Italian roll. And I just, I'm hungry just talking about it. We delighted, squealed when one of us got to run down the stairs, cross the street to the market to get some fresh bread for breakfast that morning. And if we were really lucky, we would also have some fresh cut meat and the panini would be used for sandwich, uh, for sandwiches at lunchtime. Oh man, what great memories. And, and the funny thing is what the memories are connected to the bread. <laughs> I remember some other parts of the, of that trip, but just to focus on that reality that something you can encounter over and over, it's the same thing, but boy, it's different. It's new every time. It looks the same. It's the same thing dropped off by the same truck around the same time every day, but it's fresh. It is, it is enjoyable, right? I bring this up because in the history of our Catholic faith, in Christian tradition, it has been used again and again, the idea that God's Word is like fresh bread. God's Word, the Scriptures, the Gospel, is like fresh bread. Fresh bread, you get that total experience, the smell, the texture, the crunch, the taste, the, the enjoyment, the, the part it plays in, in bringing about uh, the communing that happens around a meal and all that gets enabled by that fresh bread. Uh, that's like God's word. Uh, you know, the saints and, and, and wise holy theologians down through the ages talk about serving up God's word, serving up the word of the Lord, serving up the gospel of Jesus Christ, using the analogy of baking fresh bread. And so that's what I want for you this month, this month of June. That this month that, guess what? It's, it happens every 12 months. It's just another June. It's just another June 1st. It's just another month dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus. Or is it an opportunity for fresh bread? Is it a chance for the Lord to serve up to you some fresh bread in your own life of faith? That's my hope. Just like my hope yesterday on the Feast of the Visitation was not just the correct theological understanding of the event of the visitation in the scriptures, but that you would have a visitation. So also, on Sacred Heart Radio, on the airwaves dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus, my prayer, my focus, my effort this month, when I have a chance to come to you, is to be praying for you and to be begging the Lord 
for opportunities on this program through the guests that I have on, through the conversations that I have with our wonderful priests on Mondays, with uh, Carrie on Fridays, with others, to plunge into the most sacred heart of Jesus, to invite you to dive in, to invite you to experience in a fresh and new way the love that dwells in his heart, his heart for you, his heart beating with love for you. And so my my goal isn't to just bring out insightful teachings and doctrines connected to the most sacred heart of Jesus, but, but I'll also do that, draw on these wonderful witnesses to the most sacred heart of Jesus and some beautiful encyclicals teaching about the most sacred heart of Jesus and to plunge into scriptures and the catechism in references to the heart of Jesus. But any and all of those things, fresh bread. Fresh bread's my hope. Every morning you tune in at 8 o'clock or you tune in at 9 at night for the rebroadcast or you listen to this podcast, whatever you're listening to it as a standard practice, I want you to remember that three-wheeled little truck coming through with the loud exhaust at 7 in the morning. This is happening at 8 in the morning. Fresh bread is being served up. I want nothing less than that for you. Fresh bread. Today I'm going to get some fresh bread from a book called Paradoxes of Faith, Henri de Lubac. One of the practices that I enjoy very much is reading uh, books of uh, Catholic literature, theology, spirituality, books that are worthy of being read. And I, I particularly enjoy books that have these aphorisms like pithy sayings, like really condensed, dense statements that you can like literally take it in like a panino, right? Like a, just a little piece of bread. You can crunch into it and you can just take it in and you can chew on it, chew on it mentally, reflect on it, and then let it settle in. And so one such book published by Ignatius Press is called Paradoxes of Faith. Paradoxes of Faith. What's a paradox? How many times do you hear me say, if you've listened to Sound Insight over the years, you hear me say, is it this or this? And the answer is yes. Is the heart of Christ that's revealed in the month of the sacred heart, is it the, the divine heart of Jesus or the human heart of Jesus? Yes. Yes. Is, is you know, and I, I could go on with a hundred examples, but that's a paradox, it's, a par- it's not a contradiction. It's a paradox where in order to understand one truth, to let that one truth really shine and stand forth in its fullness, you also have to uphold the other truth at the same time. They're not in contradiction. They're distinct, but they're not separate. That's an important distinction. <laughs> the distinction between distinction and separation. Think about it. That's important to hold on to. And so I am going to draw upon a number of these aphorisms, these brief statements from Henri de Lubac in his book, Paradoxes of Faith, published by Ignatius Press. There's a second one called More Paradoxes of Faith. I I don't care for that one as much. Just get the first one, Paradoxes of Faith. Uh, There is, there's one by Peter Kreeft, uh, which is, uh, it's also published by Ignatius Press. I don't even know if they publish it anymore, but get it online if you can. It's called A Turn of the Clock. It's it's shorter than this one, but it's delightful. It's a delightful book of aphorisms. There's another one by Hansers von Balthasar called A Grain of Wheat. And amazing, again, amazing book of short sayings. Henri de Lubac has... Uh, has a uh, another book that well it's not I, I won't even mention it oh, it's called the discovery of God but it's not quite the same it's it, it's shorter segments of themes but it's absolutely profound 
And Van Balthazar has another one that's somewhat like that called The Paschal Mystery, Mysterium Pascale. But uh, I let me dive into these, uh, these books. And I want to hand them on to you so that you can delight in them too, like a panino. Back in a minute. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. I, and I gotta tell you, the reason why I'm even picking up this book is that I gave it to Mary Grace, my oldest daughter, who's back home for the summer working here and living with us. And it's such a gift to have her here. Uh, such a blessing to have her spirit and her leadership among her siblings. Um, but I, I've been able to pass on to her books that with her study, she's studying English in in college and is really flourishing. I love it. Um, but she can appreciate now good writing at a whole other level and profound insights into our Catholic faith. She can also appreciate at a whole new level. So she is loving this book, Paradoxes of Faith. That's one of the delights when you're when you can discover a book that is very meaningful and impactful in your own spiritual life, to be able to hand that on to your kids, to introduce it to them at the right time in the right way, that's a special gift. That is a stewardship. You know, these books were, this particular book I discovered on my own, but Henri de Lubac I discovered uh, really as a result of Ignatius Press and Hansers von Balthasar. Um, and so I can kind of trace that lineage back but Henri de Lubac has just a number of amazing books. Okay, so um, the point is, think about those books that have had the biggest impact on your life and share them with your kids. Share them with your grandkids. Don't leave, it, don't leave unsaid or unshared uh, important books that have had an impact on your life. I have to remember to do that because I tend to be more of a, an introvert and a private person. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. I'm more introverted and private, so I tend to say less than more to my kids. Um, yeah, it's true. Okay, so let me, um, let me give you this first one because it, it's apropos, it's fitting for what I, the theme I've been talking about so far. Uh, De Lubac says, nothing remains intact without effort. Repetition of formula, uh, formulae uh, does not assure the transmission of thought. It is not safe to entrust a doctrinal treasure to the passivity of memory. Intelligence must play a part in its conservation, rediscovering it, so to speak, in the process. Nothing remains intact without effort. Repetition of formulas does not assure the transmission of thought. And that's what I'm talking about. We can memorize doctrines. We can learn to defend doctrines with apologetic effort. We can learn to uh, expand upon our understanding of doctrines through catechetical and theological reflection. But in order to plumb the depths of them, it takes some personalization. It takes some making it one's own. It's not enough merely to memorize. We need to ponder. We need to like hold that object up in front of us and look at its various facets. We need to ponder, what does this doctrine mean for my life right now? What, what's entailed in this doctrine if this is true for how I'm supposed to be living? All of those types of things. That's the fresh bread. That's what I want for, for you this month when it comes to the Sacred Heart. Not a mere repetition of a doctrine, but a pondering together, a reflecting together, so that we discover in a whole new way the love of Jesus that is there already in the beating heart of love revealed to us in his most sacred heart. So, I really encourage you to do that, to, to make it your own so that it, it's, it's alive in you. And when it's alive in you, it's so much easier to then share it with others as well. This actually leads me to another uh, quote. And, I, and I'm taking most of the quotes today from a chapter of his on witness. And that's really what I'm talking about. What is witness? Witness is about giving evidence regarding the reality of something the truth of something, the event 
which we participated in or were observant of. And so we're talking about being a witness to Christ. And what does it mean to be a witness of his gospel? And, and that's not always easy, but, but how do we do that? And so I'm going to share some examples of how I was asked to do that today, literally in one day, yesterday. So uh, literal examples of being a witness to Jesus Christ and how when we take in his fresh bread, when we take in his word and it becomes a living word in our lives, he is giving us a stewardship. He is giving us a, um, uh, a, uh, a, a uh, entrustment of being a witness to others of the, the, the goodness and the truth and the beauty that has been handed on to us. And so De Lubach says, think, live, be. Next, try to ex- uh, express scrupulously what you think, what you are living, what you are. Think, live, be. Next, try to express scrupulously what you think, what you are living, what you are. And so this is where it will take some effort. If we're going to be a witness to the Lord, a witness to the heart of love that is revealed to us in this month, then it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some pondering. It's going to take some bringing into life what it is we've pondered. And it's going to take uh, a, a take stock of the fact what we think about and what we live, we become. It's going to touch us that deeply. That's who we are. Now, De Lubac talks a lot about popularization. He says, nothing is more contrary to the idea of testimony than the idea of popularization. Nothing is more different from apostolic work than propaganda. Uh, and then he quotes uh, Peggy, uh, another uh, French philosopher uh, of the late 19th, early 20th century. He says, when I see my best friend coming, I do not say to myself, how am I going to manage propagandizing him? <laughs> uh, he goes on and says another one, you cannot popularize religion the way you popularize a science. Neither ingenious methods nor literary gifts can succeed in doing it. All of these these different quotes are connected to this idea that don't measure impact, don't measure fruitfulness of what it is that you are witnessing to based on popularity. There's a difference between results and fruits. There's a different, results are measurable. How many clicks, how many likes, how many comments, how many shares, how many views, uh, how, how many minutes watched, how many followers, how many fans, right? It's easy for us to look at those things and identify that with fruit. And it's not that those are radically separate, but they are distinct. Some of the most fruitful apostles and witnesses in our time are hidden away in cloistered monasteries, unknown by us, but known to heaven, visible to heaven. In fact, Henri de Lubac says, the profundity of a spiritual act is in direct proportion to its author's commitment in it. The profundity of a spiritual act is in direct proportion to its author's commitment in it. How deep, how, how expansive, how impactful is this spiritual act that we're doing? And you think of the act of giving testimony, of sharing the gospel, of, of uh, sharing your faith with someone. The impact is connected to our own individual, hidden, private walk with the Lord. And so it's, it's not just a matter of, did I say something out loud in a public setting, but rather, no, am I quietly seeking the Lord in the quiet of my own intimate life of prayer, 
for when I encounter the heart of Jesus in my own prayer time, that's when it will carry forward whenever I'm going to talk about the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, in a public place. Right? So if I'm, if I'm having a chance to share with someone, witness to someone, in, in, the, in the course of an ordinary conversation, then part of what, how that's going to show up is, is this powerful truth that uh, St. Thomas Aquinas brought out. He said that the act of teaching reveals the spiritual life of the teacher. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, want it or not, intend it or not, the, 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 how you teach, what you say, is a revelation it, it shows forth the, the depth of one's own contemplative union with the very reality you're teaching about. And so how does this show up? Okay, a couple of quick examples from, from yesterday. So I had um, a, a real estate meeting. So in a real estate meeting, I'm, I'm going to someone's house to talk with them about the idea that I might list their house, put their house up for sale. And um, coming into the house and, and talking with this couple about this, this is a, a big deal. This is an important act. And I said, can we pray? And they're like, sure, absolutely. And, and so I prayed. And it wasn't just that I began with a formal act of bringing God into it. No, it was a revelation. It was an exposure of the heart that exists in me for this couple. Lord Jesus, I beg you to be with us right here. And Lord, you have led this couple on a journey in their own life and in their family's life. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom and insight into the next step of their lives. And Lord, I pray, and I say this regularly when I'm in in what I call crucial conversations, conversations where there's a lot at stake, I don't just presume that what I'm going to share is from the Lord. I'm going to obviously share in accord with my best sensitivity to the Spirit of God alive in me and my own human experience regarding what's appropriate, how to say something in a measured fashion, but not hold back, but not press in too hard. Don't force it, but don't shy away from it. And so I will pray, Lord, I just ask that anything that's from you, may it remain, may it take root. And anything, Lord, that shows up in this conversation or comes from me that is not from you, I pray that it not be heard. I pray that it not take hold. It be washed away and forgotten. And so my, uh, my genuine hope in that prayer is that the Lord would be intentionally involved in the conversation, consciously attended to as we're having this human conversation and are dialoguing about different aspects of how would they list this home. Like, when I say list this home, I, I, I'm not sure if you know exactly what I mean. What I mean is, okay, what would be the right price point? Okay, so here's a comparator to other homes in the area. Here's what's happening in the market, the real estate market right now. So here's a range, and we can talk about the, 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 the pricing strategy you want to have. If you start lower, you'll get more people to come to the table, but then you might not get as much as you could if you're willing to wait a little longer and price it a little higher, right? And then how do you market the property in the different ways that I do that? And so, yeah, I'm using my, my experience in marketing and my experience in pricing strategy and negotiation and my experience of what's going on in the market, but I'm also investing this conversation and relationship in prayer. Now, honestly, this was not a, a big stretch because the, the couple I know from, uh, from church, so I know that they're people of faith. I know that they're people of prayer. So, you know, that wasn't a, <laughs> wasn't a heavy lift to bring prayer into that circumstance. But it's not only bringing the act of prayer into that circumstance. It's realizing that 
in that circumstance, I'm also witnessing, hopefully as a cleansed vessel, to Jesus Christ. And that means he's present. That means that he's at work. He really is. It's, it's not just a, an agenda item, to use the, the phrase of Father John Ricardo. Prayer isn't just an agenda item. Let's check the box because it, it's an acknowledgement that we're both Christian or people of faith or Catholics. And now we can move on and let's really get down and dirty and roll up our sleeves and, and do the heavy lifting. Okay, God, we acknowledged you. Okay, now you can kind of just sit off on the sidelines. No. No, that's not it. That's not how I do it. And so being able to incorporate faith in a visible, expressive manner in our work, that's a blessing. That's a privilege. And you know what? It's also a risk. It, it wasn't a risk in, in that conversation. In that particular conversation, not a risk because it involved a, a couple that I knew from, uh, from uh, situations and circles of faith. But I had two other conversations yesterday that that's not the context. Now, what do I do when I'm faced with that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you in just a minute on Sound Insight. Let's be witnesses to Christ. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm reading from the book Paradoxes of Faith today. I'm doing so as a way of launching into the month of June dedicated to the most sacred heart of Jesus. And my goal is fresh bread, fresh bread, fresh bread, that you're not going to hear just the same old thing, but you're going to hear the same thing in a fresh and new way. And it's going to be sustenance. It's going to be enlivening. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be something that brings you life, something that you take great joy in. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for the folks that I'm serving, right? So as you know, um, I feel this sense of call, and I've responded to that call by um, becoming a realtor, so helping families discern and take action on buying or selling a home. And it is, I got to tell you, it's a privilege to be let in, to be let into their lives at these critical moments, it's a privilege to be able to be let in and to help them navigate and discern what's the right step to take, what's the right way to take that step, what is this process going to be like, where are we going to find a sense of confident guidance and a sense of clarity and assurance that we're doing the right thing every step of the way. It's really powerful. And I can tell you just in my work accompanying families as a realtor, it is so much like the work I, I was doing for 25 years helping uh companies as an executive coach and strategy consultant, working with CEOs and senior executives, helping them with their teams. It's the same work of accompanying them in dialogue, getting insight, taking action, to getting that sense of vision and the right strategy, turning that into a plan, and then walking that out with support, encouragement, and accountability. Same stuff, but just a different realm. And I love this realm better but let me tell you, it's, it's both rich and exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting because it's, I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again for another family, another family, another family. And so it's, um, it, it's a, it feels different right now. This feels like a different moment than it did a year ago and two years ago when COVID was impacting things so much. People had a lot more freedom to make a move because of the options that their, uh, the companies they worked for would give them to work remotely. And a lot of companies have uh, removed that freedom. And so it's like for some, that door has closed. The, the door of saying, 
I can easily access the idea of remote work because of the company policy. Now it's a lot harder. And so the wall has become higher because the door has become closed. And finding another door to go through or finding a way to get over that wall, that's just harder. So I, I, for me, I love being able to just sort of walk with folks and witness to them. Okay, so let's talk about people now who come to me but are not people of faith. How do I introduce faith into those contexts? Well, you know the first thing I do? And you can do this. You, you pray for your people. I pray for every single person that I'm serving in real estate. I'm praying for the buyers I'm helping. I'm praying for the sellers I'm helping. I'm praying for the homes that they're going to buy. I'm praying for the homes that they're selling. I'm praying for uh, the buyers that I don't even know that are going to come and buy the home that I'm selling. (laughs) And what's so interesting is this will open up so many doors where if you're paying attention, there's a moment where I can speak in and just drop a little word that says, did you notice that word? Did you notice that phrase? Did you notice what I just shared right there? And if there's any acknowledgement, then it's like, yes, I now have permission to bring out in a stronger way, a clearer way, the reality of prayer. And so it's, it's, it's the case that a couple of the folks that I'm serving that are I did not meet in the context of faith. They, they don't realize or, or know anything about my background in, in ministry and church stuff. And, um, and then all of a sudden, there's a moment that comes up and I mention, you know, I, I've been praying for you or I've been praying for this, this, this home to sell. And, and I say, I hope it's okay that I said that. Did you, did you hear what I just said? I hope it's okay or I hope you don't mind if I'm letting you know that I'm praying for this, <laughs> and it's so interesting, the responses I get, no one has been offended. No one. No one's been offended by that. Uh, in fact, they've all responded with, wow, thank you, in their own way. And they'll say, hey, I'll pray for that too. And then it's amazing how that little open door can become a common theme that can become more naturally introduced into communications. And so I'm regularly texting one of my clients and and when there is a like a trial or a difficulty happening on, on their side, I, I'll say, I'm praying for you. I'm keeping you in prayer, just praying that the Lord would bless you. And there is a, a great sense of appreciation for that. And conversely, uh, another situation where I've had um, folks take the initiative and mention something back to me about, well, I'm praying for this too, or I'm praying for you, or let's keep praying. And so isn't that isn't that a way to be like light in this world? Isn't that a way to be a witness in this world? Is to reintroduce into our natural conversation in a public setting the context of faith and God. I think that that's part of our call today. That I know that can be a little bit scary. I know that that can be a little bit of a heavy lift in certain circumstances, but it's so important. Here, so just yesterday, another conversation I was having with a woman whose daughter is getting married in a situation that is not regular, and it's really difficult for her to discern what to do and how to how to relate well to her daughter. And uh, she was calling me for some, some insights or, or thoughts or guidance. And I'm like, great, well, let's, 
let's let's kind of dig into this. And so uh, the the key insight that I shared was was that you don't have to begin with the idea that what you're doing is dishonoring to God or what you're doing is sinful or what you're doing isn't God's will, but instead begin with something like, you know, what you're entering into, married life, is really hard. And there are going to be trials and difficulties that maybe don't make a lot of sense to you right now because you're in a a different stage in your relationship where you feel like we're just so in love with each other, we can't imagine a time of serious trial ever disturbing what is just flowing so beautifully. But let me just say that marriage is hard and hard times will come. And when they do, it will be important for you to have a rock to lean on that is beyond yourselves. Because the trial and difficulty will often reveal levels of brokenness that do exist within you, attitudes that are hardened, that are not life-giving, but in ordinary circumstances are, are not really known to you. But when the trials and difficulties come and those attitudes, those behaviors, those ways of looking at things come up, if you do not have a source of strength that is beyond you, you will find it incredibly difficult to get through that trial, that stormy season, and and even have your relationship last. And that's not being dramatic. That's being statistically accurate. And so... It really is pointing them to the idea that, you know what, God and nurturing a relationship with God is going to be really important for you to achieve the goal that you have for your relationship right now, even though you don't realize you need him. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So what I, uh, what I was just talking about beforehand was uh, another conversation just from yesterday where I was um, giving a little bit of coaching to um, this mom whose daughter is getting married and and there's some real struggles, some real hand-wringing around. Uh, they're entering into marriage without a basis of faith. And what's that going to lead to? And so I was really pointing her to the idea that when you share, talk about the goals that they they really want for themselves and that beyond the horizon of what they can see for themselves right now are trials and difficulties that will stretch them beyond their capacity, whether they realize it or not. And so out of love, you're sharing with them, please consider now turning to God, turning to that source of strength for your relationship, to be able to be a rock for you in stormy seasons. And that's the Matthew 7, 24 to 27. That's that's one of the Gospels that are an option for um, the nuptial mass. That was the Gospel read at Carrie and my wedding. 20, almost 29 years ago, uh, 28 and a whole bunch of months, 28 years and a bunch of months ago. And, And boy, it's so true. It's just so true. The trials the stormy seasons, and that Christ is the rock. That Christ is the rock. He vows to be the rock in our marriages. He's ready to be the rock in our marriages. And that's good news. And we should witness to that. And so so that even when the the trials come, they'll have something to to turn to, something to lean on, something to... um, be able to come back to, even if right now it doesn't make sense. It'll be like a seed sown, right? And you pray that it finds some fertile ground, it doesn't get choked off. So, okay, so that's that's another, well, that's a crucial conversation where there's so much at stake. It's That's one of the, um, I, I, another conversation I had yesterday. <laughs> This is an organizational leader, and I was saying to this leader, I was saying, you know, one of the most important things that 
uh, a like a CEO or a president or uh, the head of a, a company or an organization needs to be aware of is blind spots. And there's something that's pretty tricky about blind spots. We're blind to them. <laughs> and so to be able to find a, a means of getting insight into uh, areas where we're just not that good at recognizing what we ought to be seeing is really important. And so uh, I, I shared with him, I said, look, when I would coach these executives for these decades, uh, I would very often be in a room with a big whiteboard and I would very regularly put on the whiteboard this question and then I would have them say, okay, what's the question? And that question is going to be the entry point for the conversation. And the question is, what's at stake? Don't tell me what's happening. I don't want a report of stuff that's going on. I want to know what's at stake right now. What's at stake in your today? What's at stake? What's the good that's at stake right now in your team, in your department, in your project initiative, in, in your company? What's at stake right now? What is, among all the things that are happening right now, what ought you to be paying attention to right now? Among everything that's happening right now, what the, among all the dynamics that are occurring, what is the most important one for you to attend to right now? That's the what's at stake question. And the more there is at stake, the more we ought to be giving ourselves over to realizing the good properly responding to the good that's at stake in the moment. Do you know what that is? That's actually the gospel. Okay, that, that, that is actually the gospel. And this is an insight that I got from another book that I also handed to my daughter, Mary Grace. It's called Message in the Bottle. It's a series of essays by Walker Percy, a novelist, Catholic, a writer from the South, and he wrote in the late 50s, I think it was his first book, called The Moviegoer, and then he wrote into, goodness, probably at least the, I think the 90s, and I'm not sure when he died, probably died in the, I think after the turn of the century, um, but wrote a number of novels, but his essays I just found so delightful. In this book of essays called Message in the Bottle, in there he has an essay that's named after the title of the book, um, The Message in the Bottle. And in that essay, he brings out an insight into the nature of the gospel that I'd never heard before. And yet it had such a profound impact on my life. And I regularly would use it when I would teach about evangelizing, when I would work with leaders in efforts of evangelizing was hold on to this really important distinction that the gospel is a type of content that is characterized as news and not merely information. The gospel is good news, not good information. And the difference, so says Walker Percy, is that news is that kind of information, that or that kind of communication that when it's heard, it must be responded to. It must be responded to. And if you don't respond when you hear the announcement of the good news, then you, are not ha- you have not heard it as news, but merely as information. And so the simple example that I like to use, and this is going somewhere, so please stay with me, is imagine that you're in a school in a classroom, you're a student, and all of a sudden, the principal comes bursting into the room and says, everyone, there is a bomb threat that we just received, and there's only one door that is safe for us to evacuate the building. Follow me right now, because the bomb is going to go off in 60 seconds. And then he goes dashing out the door down the hall. What do you do? And of course you say, well, that's easy. The answer is you get up and you run out the door and you follow the, the principal out the, the one safe exit to safety and you do so quickly. You do not delay. 
you take immediate action because there is so much at stake, like your life and the lives of those with you. Now, that's the immediate, obvious, straight-line answer, but stop and ask yourself, he comes running in, and he says those same words, but this time he does so with a wink and a laugh. Hey, everyone, there is a bomb that's about to go off in a minute, and I know the way out. Come and follow me. Okay, guys, what are you going to do now? Well, all of a sudden, the response that we would make is dependent upon the credibility of the one who makes the announcement. What are, what are we picking up? What's, what, how is this announcer of the good news showing up? Is he showing up with the degree of seriousness that you'd expect in someone who's announcing news of the greatest importance? And therefore, you must respond with the, with the greatest of, of, of alacrity, right? Go, quickly, now, quickly. That's the gospel. The gospel's good news, not good information. If the principal would come running in and said, hey, everybody, two and two is four, we'd say, oh, well, okay, got it. Okay, that was, that was pretty intense <laughs> for a piece of information that we already knew or we could have picked up anywhere. So one of the biggest factors that holds back the work of evangelization the work of us proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of announcing good news in our lives, is that we too often have learned the gospel in a context where we received it as information. We memorized it, we studied it, we answered answered, uh, questions about it on a test, And then we moved on and learned other information about God as well. But that's not the good news. Tonight, my son, John Luke, and my daughter, Annalise, are going to be confirmed. And my hope and prayer for them, and please say a prayer for them. Please say a prayer for them and for the others that are going to be confirmed, that this is a moment, this is an event, this is news, something is happening, Pentecost is breaking into your life. Do you realize what's about to happen? This is not just information for you to stow away. This is for you to be prepared and ready, open, uh, available, crying out to the Lord, come Holy Spirit, I want Pentecost to be alive in me. This is an event, I want to be ready for it. That's the news quality of the gospel. That's what I want for you in the month of June. Fresh bread. I want living bread. I want the inbreaking of the heart of God in your life. That's good news. That's not just mere information. Thanks so much for listening. God bless your day. And join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.